Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 192, Things You Might Not Know, recorded May 10th, 2015, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroll, and joining me this week is your friend and mine, Chris, the command line godfather Neves. I got his name right this time. Welcome, Chris. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing great on this Sunday afternoon. I hope everyone had a great Mother's Day. And to all those mothers out there, thanks for everything you've done, did, and will do in the future. Yes, here in the U.S., uh, Sunday, May 10th, uh, 2015 is Mother's Day. This will be coming out on Wednesday. So, uh, And then people in other parts of the world have already had their Mother's Day. But moms, it's a thankless job. So at least one day a week or one day a year, we make you not do dishes. So thanks, moms, uh, for... For all the stuff you do. Um, and that's all I have to say about that. So, Chris, uh, Seth is still uh, in Hawaii, maybe on his way back from Hawaii by this point. I honestly don't know. Um, but he, he's he been posting some beautiful pictures on Facebook. Uh, makes me really jealous of the fact that he's <laughs> spent two weeks there. He's certainly eaten well, from what I can tell. Um, but we he, he'll be back with us next week to tell us all about it, and uh, we miss him. We miss him when he's we, not there. Yeah, it's it's nice to take a time off, but, man, the ones that are stuck back here behind the cameras, we, we miss that guy when he's gone. <laughs> so because he's not here, uh, and and he does like 40% of the show work with the new stuff, uh, we, we're, <laughs> we're taking a cheat. And we thought it would be interesting just to do random trivia stuff. has nothing to do with anything just just stuff it was just an excuse that i'm just putting that out there right up front to do a show that doesn't require a great deal of prep but hopefully some of these things these things can do some uh generate some discussion and one of the things i've been thinking about doing in the future and i want to see uh what the audience is is i'm thinking i want to set up an, uh, an email address or, or well it doesn't have to be a special address you can send it to chris and seth for a stump the, the sultan show where you would send questions in and the objective is not necessarily for me to have the right answer but for me to be able to give an answer that sounds like it might be right at the time so it's it's sort of a game show where i'll either give the right answer to your question if i know it or i'll make up so much bs that it sounds like i know the answer (laughs) that sounds like a large oh i i can't even think about what to even call that. It just it just sounds like it should be fun. Yeah, so that's what I was saying. Calling a, calling a, a stump the Sultan episode, and so the whole you would you would email your questions to Chris and Seth. They would read them to me, and then I would pose the an answer, and they would d- decide whether or not the answer satisfied them, whether they knew the answer or not. Right? If I if I just play, if you said you know in what year was the Battle of Hastings, and I said ten sixty six, they they would say okay, that's right. If you said, you know, what's the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow, and I made up something, if I could make up something that sounds plausible to them, we'll call that a win. And at the end of the show, we'll keep score and see how well I did. I thought it might be fun. It should be fun. And then we could go, come back and revisit with all the correct answers if the people that <laughs> yes. posed them, you know, sent back in. I could see that being fun. So just remember, don't send them to Mark or right. the EDL email address because then he'll be able to pre-search. Right. These are supposed to be off the cuff. Exactly. I want to test my balderdash skills. Now, am I good <laughs> enough to just fake my way through an entire episode of questions? Um, 
and it, you know I, I and the, and I I will not allow myself to say I don't know. I'm I the rules of the contest will be I must give an answer. There so you go. I think it'll be fun. I, I I can definitely see how that would be a great time. We'll have to definitely uh, bring some pizza and and, and beer and sit back and enjoy the <laughs> show. Like a drinking game every time I say ooh. Uh. <laughs> Man, I think people would might they they might end up not making it all the way through the show. <laughs> so that's just something I've been thinking about. Let me know what you think. Again, don't send your questions to me, but do if you think it's a good idea, let me know. If you think it's just going to be a waste of time, let me know too. Although, frankly, I'm not opposed to wasting your time. Uh, uh, maybe uh, we can do if it's uh, a question for the stump the Sultan. You know, maybe in the subject, put stump. Stump the or you know SS or something so we know it's the question for that show and not for general f- listener feedback questions. I'll even go one farther. I'm I'm just making this up as I go. For every question that I can't give a reasonable answer to, I will donate one dollar to the EFF. Oh, there you go. So that will motivate people to send in. Uh, difficult obscure off the obscure wall stuff yes but so if, that should be if i can give an answer that sounds plausible whether it's correct or not if both chris and seth agree that it sounds plausible then they'll give a dollar to the eff how about that hmm well we'll have to wait for seth to get back to verify that one but uh <laughs> i don't see a problem with it. it's only a dollar Right, and so I, I mean, that the, much if, anyway. At so. the end of the show, at the most, you'd be shucking out twenty bucks, right? But um, it could be an interesting uh, way to 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 a little fundraiser and and fundraiser. There see, you go. See what I did there? Both a fundraiser and a fundraiser. Ooh. <laughs> speaking of fun, I, I told Chris last week after we'd stopped recording that uh, I would not speak to him again if he hadn't watched the first episode of Daredevil. <laughs> So uh, in order to actually do a show tonight, he had to do that. So what do you think about it, Chris? Um, well, I binge-watched three episodes, you know, back-to-back today, just so I made sure I would be making my my uh, his plea, you know, satisfied. Um, I was interested – it was very interesting on how they played the Daredevil character off um, – because he hasn't donned the suit yet, right? The crimson suit. He's still just the black mask guy. So it, it's interesting to see how much they're feeding the um, backstory into the episodes. The very first three. Um, I think the end of the third episode is when they actually introduce the character, the kingpin. So, uh, but he's not called kingpin yet. Actually, through not yet. through all thirteen episodes, he's never called kingpin. So right, it's yeah. the backstory of Wilson Fisk and the backstory of Matt Murdock. Neither yep. of them are yet Kingpin and Daredevil, and I love that. Right, which is why I'm so interested. It's it's kind of got me hooked because I'm I'm waiting to see the you know some of the trademark things that they bo- that both those characters do, and I really haven't seen any of the king the trademark yet, but I can see th- why some of the trademarks are there now. So. I'm 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 hooked. Damn you! <laughs> See what I tell everybody is is the first episode is interesting, but you may decide at the end of the first it's not good enough. Watch the second yep. one. The second one is the big hook. Yep, that's when the hook definitely came. Well, it didn't fully hook until the end of the third. When I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, <laughs> and I started going, no, wait, huh? And it was that whole moment of now where are they going to go? 
What's yeah. next? My wife and I finished it uh, last last uh, one night last week. I don't remember what it was, but we watched the last two episodes. And when it was over, it was both satisfying in that the the story arc completed nicely, and uh, appetite wetting in that I can't I can't wait to see where they go next. So now. You know, the, as I said, uh, we've been kind of pacing these things out, watching no more than two episodes a week because we didn't want it to to go away too quickly. Uh, right. And I think one week we did watch three episodes, uh, but <laughs> we didn't. We, you know, we we told ourselves we didn't want this to be over too quickly. You know, if I finish him, if I use my right, over too quickly. Um, and it was, it is, it's over too quickly. And so now it's we've got to wait a whole year. For the next one, so I've been I've been proselytizing, telling people to watch Daredevil, but at the same time, the longer they procrastinate to watch it, the less time they'll have to wait for the second season. Yeah, uh, but it wraps up in such a way that if there was never a second season, you don't you're not left unsatisfied. Well, so. that's good. That's good to know. Um, but yeah, the whole binge read, binge watching, or binge reading into a, a series to find out that now you have to wait months or years is is just agonizing. I've done that now with three of my Audible books right. in the series because I didn't realize there were series until I started reading in. Now I'm jonesing for the actual finish to this. It's like, no. Right. I, I blew through uh, like 10 Jane, uh, John Campbell, Jack Campbell books, the uh, Beyond the uh, Frontier and the Lost Fleet. I read the whole Lost Fleet and uh, and first the first four books of Beyond the Frontier because you know i'm so far get uh, so late getting into these these things have been around for a while and i got to book four of beyond the frontier and it's like what there's not any more what i, I what <laughs> so the fifth book just came out and i i tore it up in in a couple of days and i'm pretty sure that's the end of it he left it open where there could be more but also he cu- killed off enough number uh, enough main characters and resolved enough storylines that he could end it there quite comfortably as well so I, I don't feel like i'm waiting for the next one but yeah it is frustrating that's why i try to i try to uh, that's probably not even the right way to say it uh, i have in the past only picked up old um series because i knew i could get through all of them but, right you know i didn't realize that this was a a new series i thought i was uh confident in in the oldness of it uh but some of the new ones you know that that i've picked up as well it, it's it's frustrating to have to wait a year or two for the next storyline to be written yep yeah it's it's definitely one of those things where i've ran into too many of those books that are mid series mid series and i'm like ow i wanted to know what's going to happen and audible will do that right they'll have a a deal of the day 99 cents for book four of the series yep and, and uh, that's such a dirty trick audible <laughs> Cause, it's mean. Because if you like that mean. one, you have to go back and read the other two, uh, the other three that led up to it, and then all the others. And so it's like, for 99 cents, we'll hook you, and then it's 30 bucks a book then on, you know, or whatever. Yep. Um, or or you have to wait for your credits to show up, and then you're chewing in your fingernails until the credits all show. My credits come uh, on on the 18th of the month. And so sometimes on the 17th, I'm like... Um, come on, guys! I'm running out of stuff to read here. <laughs> well, and and it's late on your day, right? At least mine are. It's mine a, show up like the in the evening of yeah, like six whatever. or seven p.m. Yeah. So then I'm late going to bed because I'm <laughs> trying to find the next books to, to to set up for my download, and then I'm chewing my fingernails off. Yeah, but there's enough. I don't have very many fingers left. For me, anyway, there's been enough uh, daily deals for a dollar or two. 
to fill in the gaps. So I've, I've yeah. only a couple of times just not had a book to read. Um, audible.com, elementop.com slash audible. You can get a free one month trial. Um, and we get a few bucks. So do it. It's if you're, if you're a podcast listener, and I'm assuming you are since you're listening to this podcast, audible is right up your alley. Yep. Uh, the way Especially if it, you have, I was going to say, it, it's perfect if you have uh, long commutes or a def, or uh, long commutes or times at the gym where you're right. not doing anything. Washing if, dishes, brushing teeth, you know, wh- whatever. Any time that your your mind would be idle, you can have a, a book right there. Um, yep. And I didn't, I didn't realize the power of that until I got into it. My routine is uh, books in the car and podcasts at the desk. Well, there so you go. So when I'm sitting at my desk and I can half listen to something where, you know, I'm not having to keep up with six hours of story and character names and all that sort of stuff, I pop a podcast in. Uh, but when I'm in the car and I have the opportunity to focus on something, that's a book. So I, I, I commute roughly 10 hours every week, and most books tend to be between 8 and 12 hours, so I can finish a book in a week for the most yep. part. Uh, and it works I'm in the really same well boat. Yeah, we, I actually was laughing. We did a little barbecue here at the house last night for mothers, you know, all my friends that are, that are mothers. Um, and there's three of us in the, in the group, in the friend group that are huge audible people. Um, and we're like, so how many books do you have now in your library? Just poking. And he, cause there's a couple of guys that have been doing this longer than me. And they're like, Oh, I got 30 some books in my library. And I went, yeah, I got all that plus 10 right. in my library. And I've only been doing it for two, like five months now. So, ha. Yeah, um, I'm, it, it, I'm, it's funny. I'm, I'm probably close to 60. I haven't counted recently. Uh, but I'm, I'm not at my two year anniversary yet. And I'm at 60 books because it's just, it's so enthralling. Um, yep. And addicting. Yes. Definitely. It, it is now my, my second new addiction. And many of their books, my first one. many of their books whisper sync up. So if you've got a Kindle, you can read where you last listened and you can listen where yep. you last read. Uh, as I've said many times on the show, I'm not a reader, but I, I am a consumer of story. So Audible really, it, it restored that part of my life that was missing. Yeah, it's great. Be a storyteller. Listen to audiobooks. <laughs> and that was not intended to be an ad. It's just an organic discussion of something it is. that we both love. Um, one, of the, one of the questions I used to get asked all the time is, what are you reading right now? Because a lot of my friends are, you know, they're cerebral people. They're they're readers, yep. and every time we'd have a discussion, what are you reading right now? Eh, I'm not reading anything. I mean, I read blogs, I read articles, uh, I read stories uh, mm-hmm. online, but I'm not reading any books. Now I can jump right in and say, well, let me tell you <laughs> what I read yeah. or what I just read. So it's I'm no longer a second class citizen. There you go. Because second class citizen is not much fun. Because I'm the kind of guy who. I, I just will pick a topic or not even pick, you know, a lot of people will, will use like uh, Tumblr or stumble upon or whatever and just do random blogs. I do that, but with like research studies, I, I know it makes me a geek. I understand that. I I own that. <laughs> but like just this last week, uh, while I was, you know, the TV was on, I wasn't watching TV. My wife was, and I had my laptop and I was reading an article about the, um, the mystery, the 50 year old mystery of the measles vaccine. Uh, what, oh, what interesting. We've, what we've, what we've known to be true, but we're not sure why is that when people get, uh, 
when the measles vaccine is available in a population, all other mortalities drop by as much as 80% from everything else, from from mumps, from from influenza, from pneumonia. When when we knock out measles, the death rate from other diseases plummets somewhere between 70 and 80%. And every time the measles vaccine has been implemented, that's been true. And we knew what, we just didn't know why. And, and our new recent study uh, theorizes, it's still still early on in the science, that the measles vaccine, uh, that the measles virus actually diminishes it or, or almost resets the the body's immune system. So, you know, when you're four hmm. and you get a cold, you'll never get that particular cold again. But if you get measles, it like you're, you wipes out your antibodies and your your body is starts over again and doesn't remember the things it's fought before. So you can get the same cold again. So people are, people are, that's the theory. People were dying from things that they had never, that they had once been immune to because measles wiped that out. Uh, and we, we had known that it could suppress the immune system for up to a couple of years, but now new research is showing it. It doesn't just suppress it. It resets it. So anyway, that's just one of the interesting things I read this week that wasn't a book. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is interesting. I mean, it, it makes sense when you, you know, in, in theory, you know, once it is in paper, it'll be a different story because that also could then you could look, look at it as if measles has that power to reset the immune system. If you could harness that, could you reset people that are, um, immunized camp, the, the compromised, the ones that are have autoimmune disease? Right. Or, or would it give us a better understanding of, uh, you know, immunosuppressants, right? If you had a kidney, yep. uh, and you were always on immunosuppressants, could we just infect you with the measles instead? Um, you know, reset your clock. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's interesting thought process there. But this, uh, brings... it was, I think it was uh, Emory University, which is what caught my attention because it's here in Atlanta. It was a study at Emory University where they they just looked at historical records, right? So they could track when the measles vaccine was introduced in various populations, going all the back all the way back to the fifties, um, and you know, the U.S. first, then Europe, then Africa, and they could track this thing. It just happened every time. People got started getting inoculated for uh, for the measles. Everything else um, went away as well, and it was then they started trying to figure out why. By the way, no vaccines cause autism. Just take the freaking shot, people. <laughs> yes, that is not based on science. Help. It's based on fear, and there's never been any study that that not not only proved it, but even showed a strong link between vaccines and anything else so just stop just being do stupid. it yeah just do it your kids will thank you in 10 years when they're not dying because of it and and you're you know again there is this this whole concept of herd immunity if if i if i inoculate my kids uh but you don't inoculate yours you are making my kids more prone to to get other diseases uh, yep. So the, the, there's because the disease has a chance to to incubate and spread where it might not. So if the herd is immune to say measles, then even the immunocompromised, even the the old and the young who who could get the measles won't because the measles can't germinate inside anybody. Right. So when you take your group off and let them get infected with chickenpox and and um, mumps and all this other stuff that we can fix the flu. Uh, you you give a you create your own human set of petri dishes. Stop it. Take the dang shot. 
<laughs> it won't give you autism. We'll, we'll all be happier for it. I did. I well, we're just really going far afield, but that's okay. That's what this show is about. This is almost a, a trivia thing in itself. Um, I have a, a a family member who is rabidly anti um, vaccination, and this family member, uh, I'll say it's a she. Um, she uh, routinely posts facts quote-unquote facts about a thing so i did decided to do the uh the research one day and i and i crafted a really long facebook post it was almost a a blog really and i took the the cdc numbers about uh death by flu and the cdc numbers about death by flu vaccine and then i took this the most whacked out group of people i could find and I and I used their numbers of flu vaccine kills eighty percent of everybody who's ever done. You know, just I just I took the most um, non conservative numbers I could find on both sides, the ones who really uh, did their case, and I did the math. I actually said, you know, this percentile, this versus age, and I came out with even using the whack jobs numbers, there's like a nine hundred percent higher chance of dying from the flu than from the flu vaccine. So even if you believe the whack jobs. Take the freaking shot. <laughs> See, the, the with the flu vaccine, I'll actually step up and say I don't do the flu vaccine. And there's a family reason for it. Um, my dad has a, a thing that says it it's a um, – oh, what the – I don't remember what it's called now um, – where the immune system doesn't work. Okay. Anyway, um, so what happened is is that he anytime he's exposed to the flu vaccine, he could actually relapse his Guillain-Barre. Okay, and it, it could kill him. And there's no, but there's no, there's no proof that it's hereditary, and there's also no proof that it isn't hereditary at this time. So the, under the idea that I don't want to risk the idea of having Guillain Barre because I almost lost my dad in a week because of it, um, I choose not to. Um, same thing with my kids and my brothers. We're we're all in the same boat because we don't have any. The doctors can't give us a you know, bottom line saying, well, you the, you won't get it or you will get it. We're, we're just deciding to choose not to be taking the flu shot. But we also made it a little thing, or at least I have. If I ever feel like I have a flu-like symptom, I stay home. So that way I don't risk sharing the flu with other people. Yeah. Uh, so, again, you are one of a very small population oh, yes. of people very small. that has a reason for that. Uh, and, and that's, you know, fine for you, but you also know that you're probably going to get sick. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm willing to take that chance. And I'm also, I also haven't had the flu in four or five years. So, you know, and you often hear these things like, I only get the flu shot when I want to get the flu. Ha 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 ha. No, you're just being stupid. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I accidentally killed the hangout chris so i'm I just yeah i'm coming back invite. um so if you're watching this on youtube oops <laughs> sorry about that uh, i got so excited in my gesticulations um <laughs> So anyway, uh, moving on to a little a bit of listener feedback. Uh, these are a couple of uh, older messages that have been, kind of been hanging around because I didn't have any other place to stick them. So here they are. Steven asks about AAC players rather than MP3. He says, I noticed MP3 players made by anyone except Apple are often touted on EDL. Uh, what if we consider that MPEG-1 Layer 3 files to be old news and MPEG-4 AAC the wave of the future? Uh, or if not the future, just point 
point superior nowadays. Are there any alternatives to the iPod for AAC files? Uh, is there such a thing as a generic AAC player? So first off, I, I don't remember ever recommending a, a media player of any kind. Maybe I did. I, I don't remember doing that. Um, uh, we, we're pretty much all about the phone. Uh, in my household, that is our primary player. But to answer your question, I am not aware of anything that plays AAC files except Apple devices. That's while it's not their format, it's their their format of choice. Um, and I, I don't I, I don't know the answer. So, audience, Chris, do you know of a standalone generic non Apple player that will play AAC files? I am actually looking to see if I can find. The firmware update for the uh, the SanDisk player that I use, and I thought it does AAC. I know it does FLAC. Um, like I said, I know it does FLAC files for sure. Um, let me see if it does. And it, for those that know, it's called Rockbox. Um, I I think anything with Android on it. Supports AAC. I think that's supported in the 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 OS. So, any any device you have running Android, any tablet or phone, should be able to handle that without any problems. Uh, I'm I'm I don't know of any, but I'm sure there are um, standalone devices running Android. So I think that's your answer, Stephen. Yeah, I'm still looking AAC because, like I said, I know the Rockbox guys. They've done a lot of work trying to get multi formats into their their player so um yeah i'm just not able to find it really quick in their f- in their wiki but i know when i moved my before i got my phone and i started using that as my primary device um i got one of those little sand disk clips um, right here these little guys um works great um the the rocks um, the Rockbox firmware uh, installs inline. You don't even see the old firmware, and it works pretty dang good. It does all the stuff that, that I wanted it to do, and it does FLAC, which is what I had a problem with at the time because I had a lot of FLAC files. Um, since then, I've moved to Google Music and not use my FLAC files anymore as much, but I still have them. Um, but this little sand disk was the, the bee's knees, man. It was the the with the fact that I could throw in a an SD card, a micro SD card into it, which I forgot I had a 16 gigabyte SD card in there, um, <laughs> that uh, it was the thing for me to use. So maybe look at that, see if uh, do some digging into flat into Rockbox and see if it does AAC for you. I haven't done a standalone audio player since. I don't know, 2007 or eight. I mean, it's been a long time. I, I did have a couple of them, but it was before I had um, a smartphone. Even when I got my first BlackBerry, I started using it as my primary uh, media player. And now, like Chris, you know, I've sold my soul to Google. Uh, I, I uploaded all my stuff to Google Music and I yep. just play, you know, I, I don't even store things locally. I, I could and maybe I should. But I just stream off of Google servers my own stuff, or use Spotify or Amazon Prime Music, mm-hmm. or uh, or even Google's music, and just play their stuff. So I I am not the person to answer that question anymore. I might have been a few years ago. Um, I know for a long time, like I I just showed up in the video feed. I have two Sans Disc um, 
clips because when one was, I was using one as my primary and then, um, I needed one for my wife and my kids to have for them to run around when they were doing their exercise that this was our thing. And usually I was out by myself, so I had my own and then they would share the other one. But yeah, I would say look around. I'm sure there's something out there that does it. And if it doesn't do it natively, I'm sure there's a firmware update somewhere that will give you the ability. So don't be afraid of voiding those warranty people. Just don't come <laughs> back after us when you do void it. But I do agree with you, Stephen, that MP3 is um, a codec and a form factor, a format that is um, past the prime, right? There are yep. others available. But universality is almost always a few generations behind. Yeah, uh, and so that's why these shows are put out in MP3 format because everybody can play an MP3. Yes, I hear from the Og Vorbis people who say that I'm using a non-free codec. Yes, I agree with you. I'm using a non-free codec, but it's one that you can play. It's one that everybody can play. So you know, yeah, just- I it, most of my personal media is all in Og Vorbis. So um, I actually I ended up having to transcode a lot of it because I couldn't upload those files to Google. So um, the Og Vorbis guys are probably a better, f- you know, pr- uh, format, but, you know, university is key. Right. Okay. So moving on along, Brian, I've had this message uh, in my in basket for like three months and it couldn't, uh, just didn't know where to put it anywhere. So I wasn't ignoring you, Brian, just didn't know where to put it. Brian says he may have to go back to Windows 8. Oh, no. He says, Mark, Seth, and Chris, I chose a provocative subject line, but first, I'd like to start out with a plug for one of my favorite non-tech podcasts. The Revolutions podcast is a weekly 25 to 30 minute episode covering political revolutions. It's entertaining, clever, witty, and very enjoyable. Over the last year and a half, it's covered the English Civil War, the American Revolution, and is currently deep into the French Revolution. There's a fresh episode every Sunday night at revolutionpodcast.com, which totally is right up my alley. I'm going to have to to subscribe to that one. But one I, a while back I started speeding up my podcasts because I was I I was working so much and and my audiobook listening had cut into it. So, you know, I went to 1.1 speed and then 1.2 speed. Now I'm up to 2.2. And I can burn through eight hours of podcasts in about three and a half hours. So I'm having to add feeds now <laughs> that I didn't <laughs> used to. So Revolution Podcast is going to be on my list. And it's amazing. Once you get used to it, it doesn't sound abnormal at all. And in fact, when I slow a podcast down to 1x, then it sounds like everyone's talking like this. <laughs> That's hilarious. That that makes me laugh. I'll have to yeah. see if I can move up in speed to see what it's like. You you can retrain your brain, but you got to do it slowly. If you jump straight to like 2.1x, you're like I don't understand this uh, and and you're not going to be able to do it. But if 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 you take it in jumps, uh just just jump up, you know, to 1.1 or 1.2 and then you'll notice after a little while it doesn't sound normal. Uh abnormal rather. It sounds perfectly normal. So once it sounds perfectly normal, go up a little more till it doesn't. And then after a while, that'll sound perfectly normal. So the things that still don't is obviously when you put music in a podcast and when people are laughing, that still sounds like a robotic because <laughs> it's so fast. Um, sure. But when people are talking, especially people who speak slowly uh, in, in a very deliberate manner, like when I'm listening to uh, Leo Laporte on one of his shows, 
at 2.5x, he still sounds perfectly normal because he, he's so clear and, and enunciates so well. On this show, Seth speaks the slowest of the three of us. He sounds entirely normal. I'm the one hardest to catch up on. Uh, even listening to myself, uh, I speak faster than, than you two uh, put together, I think, sometimes. And so it sounds, uh, it sounds it's harder to follow me, but Seth sounds perfectly normal. It's amazing. <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, I'll, uh, that's something to play with. I've, I've always thought about doing it, but I know never had the need, but. Right. And the brain is plastic. You can, you can retrain it to do anything. So sure. it's, and I don't have any trouble making the switch. So I can have somebody at 2.5 X in my ear and then a coworker walk up and talk to me and it, they don't sound abnormal. My brain has, has made that okay. switch there that when it comes through headphones, it should be this speed. When it comes out of the air, it should be that speed. And, and it's only different when I cross the streams. When I listen through headphones at normal speed, it doesn't sound right. Uh, that was going to be my next question is do, do normal people sound like they're ta- you know, walking through molasses? They're talking just, through molasses. It's, it's fascinating weird. what the human brain can do. And, and if, if you train it like that, I, I'm interested to see how far I can go. Can I get to like 4X and still understand every word somebody says? Uh, one of the podcasts I listen to is The Naked Scientist. It's a British-made podcast. And with their accents, I often have to slow it down. Not that they're not clear, just that it's different. And so I can't listen to them at full speed just yet. Uh, so I have to back it down for them. That's very interesting. Huh. Anyway. Um, yeah, that's good. Anyway, keep going. So continuing with Brian's email, he says, I've been using Linux for 10 or 11 years. Two years ago, I purchased an HP laptop. Irrelevant note, should it be pronounced a HP laptop or an HP laptop? I could make a case for either one. Uh, I, I Personally, I go with an. Um, but yes, people say either one. Uh, and it does not like Linux. Uh, performance becomes awful when I have several browser tabs open. Switching tabs or scrolling within a web page can take several seconds. As I'm typing this, there's a lag of a second or so between each key press and the letter appearing on the screen. Typically, the CPU is running at less than 50%, and I'm using about half of the 8 gigs of RAM. All I have is open is one browser, uh, window, and sometimes LibreOffice, and the system just crawls. I'm leaving out a lot of detail but what what the problems are uh, and what I've tried to do but I found that uh, found about kernel bugs that often seem to be affecting this system mainly I run mint cinnamon and I've tried several other distros most recently fedora magia and arch I've run arch before on other machines hoping that a non ubuntu base would give better results if you guys have any advice I'll gladly take it but my real question is this what do you look for when you buy a system to make sure it works well with linux I am seriously considering reinstalling Windows. Yes, it's that bad. And maybe running Mint in a virtual box on Windows 8. It seems ridiculous, but it would minimize the interaction with Windows 8. Best wishes, Brian from Overland Park, Kansas. Wow, that's a pretty heavy pill then if he's going to put 8 on it and then virtualize on top of it to get better uh, that's performance. That's got to be a video driver issue. It's got to yep. be. Yeah, I would say the same thing. I would say... um Without knowing what model that HP is or what video card is in it, I would almost swear on a stack of Bibles that you have a bad video driver installed. So if it's got NVIDIA, go install the NVIDIA drivers. It'll probably clear it up. If it's Intel, go check and make sure that the Intel drivers are installed. Um, that's my best solution there. Without more information, it's pretty – we're just throwing spit on a wall and hoping something – doesn't roll down wow that's gross 
<laughs> but to answer your question, Brian, what do we do to make sure the answer for me is nothing. I buy a machine based on what I, you know, price is almost always the number one factor and then performance and form factor fall below that. Uh, I don't need a big, heavy processing machine. Uh, I make sure, you know, I found in my case, an SSD will speed up almost everything I do. So I don't do anything, but there are, you know, uh, lists of hardware, uh, supported hardware that you can find. I think kernel.org hosts one. I know other places do. If you just search, uh, just do a quick search for Linux supported hardware. It won't be hard to find something. But personally, um, you know, in my experience, I've had machines that for some reason or another didn't like Linux. And so I just didn't run Windows. I didn't run Linux on it. I ran Windows. I'm not, I'm not so married to the OS that I really care that much. I use what runs best on the machine. So in, if, it, if I were you, in your case, I'd put Windows on it. Uh, and just use it as a Windows machine because, I, again, I'm not married to Linux. I like Linux, but as you've noted, using a virtual machine, you can still dabble with Linux. Um, and so that's, you know, there are people right now feverishly typing responses on their keyboards <laughs> to what a sellout I am. But for me, it's all about uh, the OS is just a tool, right? And And I don't care which color the screwdriver is that I'm using as long as I can turn the screw. And so that's that's the way I look at it. See, personally, when I go to buy a new machine, I do, I usually do some bare bones Google searching on it to see if anyone else has ran into giant monster bug breaks with the machine. So when I was looking at getting the last Dell that I picked up, I did a quick Google search and, um, the only problem I ran into with that, with the machine, the model that I bought was it had a bad Wi-Fi card. For whatever reason, it was a Broadcom card that was not supported by any of the Broadcom drivers and Linux by default. Not a big deal. I went over to Newegg and bought a Wi-Fi card that was supported and would fit and, you know, flipped out the old card, put the new card in, and boom, I'm done. No problems, no issues. The machine works great. Uh, the only thing I wish this particular drive, this particular Dell had was a, be- a little bit better video card in it because even running something as lightweight as cinnamon makes this thing just chug. So you could have a machine that no matter what happens, it just chugs because there's something over top that's, you know, too much of a demand. Try running uh, one of the lighter weight distros. Um, you could try, or not distros, but desktops. Check into XFCE uh, or um, LXC, LXCD? LXD. Anyway, LXDE or the new one that's coming out where the which I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, where the LXCE guys are jumping in with the... Uh, God dang it, I can't remember what it is. Anyway, it, it's what they're going into, LXQT. That's it. Yes. Well, something that w- I would find interesting as an experiment, uh, Brian, on that machine, don't run a GUI at all. Boot straight to a terminal and see what happens. Um, oh, if, yeah, you can, you if you can type super fast and it responds really well in full-on terminal mode, then that definitely shows you that it is it is a a, a software issue. If it's still yep. sluggish there, you got bad hardware. And you two months probably, later, you're probably not going to be able to return the device. Sorry, it took yeah. so long to get it to you. You could probably even do the. Uh, does Mint still leave on? Um, if you Control Alt F to go to different work zones. Um, I, 
I haven't tried it in a while. I don't know. And I'm scared to right now. I wouldn't. Yeah. Don't try it right now, but, <laughs> um, I, I don't have a mint machine running that I could check, but I know, I know my fedoras do. Um, they still leave the extra works panels on where if you go control alt F1 through F1 through F7 will cycle through, um, different interfacing with the machine. So you have different logins. So you'd be able to lo- even, you know, get to your login screen, control alt F3 probably, and you'd be able to be in full on terminal mode with your GUI still running behind you, but it wouldn't be, it, it doesn't sit in the way. So it w- the interfacing would be at full speed if you don't have hardware issues. So I, if you're if you're intent on running Linux on something and you've got to make, buy a machine that you know works well with Linux, do do your research beforehand. It, it's it's not difficult. A few Google searches will do the job. Uh, and what you what what it's better to look for, and I think Chris nailed it, is don't look for what's supported. Look for problems related to the the thing you're looking at. Yeah, because so you go ahead. I was gonna say the other problem you might end up having is the initial install is roses, but they release a kernel update a month later and it blows your machine off the planet. Um, welcome to Linux. <laughs> it kind of happens. Uh, as a Linux user, um, it does frustrate me that almost every time I turn my com- com- computer on, the update manager is saying, "Hey, got something to update." And and I get it. It's better to update now than leave stuff unupdated. Um, you know, do it monthly or quarterly or whatever. But it sure is frustrating that every day something's got to be updated. Um, it's it's alert fatigue. Just because it's there doesn't mean you have to update, though, Mark. See, I'm scared not to, though, particularly the ones that say they're security updates. Yeah, well, the security ones, but they won't cause you to reboot. So the ones that bother me is when I get an everyday update for a kernel release or some subsystem that forces a reboot in order for the, the update to hit. Which and is I've pretty had a, unusual, really. It is. But there's been a couple of, I mean, what was it, six months ago, seven months ago or something, where we had three updates in the Fedora community, one every day for like three or four days in a row, and it was an update. It was a forced update, or not a forced update, but it was a security-recommended update that required a reboot for it to take effect. See, again, I turn my laptop off every night. I shut it down every day. So, again, oh. rebooting isn't a big deal for me. Yeah, laptop's not a problem. My big desktop here that, that I game on, different story. Right. <laughs> um, I With an SSD, the difference between suspending and turning off is nothing. So, yeah. I, I cold power Mid- off every time. Yeah. Once I move to a solid state and... I have this pretty new solid state drive for my big machine when I have the time to format and reinstall in between shows because Mark would be sad if I said, oh, I don't have my machine rebuilt from my format, so I can't be on the show. (laughs) Well, don't do that. Just clone it. Don't format and reinstall. Just clone it. I could. That's what I do. Might as well get rid of the sins of the past. (laughs) Um. I just saw this week a six terabyte SSD. Um, the oh. price was, was not something I would even consider discussing, but the fact that it exists and is available for the consumer is kind of a big deal. Yeah. Six terabytes is awesome. I would love a six terabyte solid state drive. I think the biggest drive I've ever bought was a two, maybe two and a half, uh, of any format. 
Um, well, but, see, I've bought threes. I bought three terabytes for my media machine. So it's it's amazing what the world is coming to, where six terabytes is now roughly the size of a credit card uh, and requires almost no energy and has no storage mm-hmm. disk. I can't wait till the price comes down to a point where we all can afford it. Speaking of things you can't afford, you can afford a Linux education over at linuxacademy.com. Uh, where their goal is to take you from being a Linux uh, novice to a Linux professional by way of their step-by-step video courses. Um, and let's just jump straight into the meat of it. The price, I've, I've gone on and on about what they have, about the, the videos, about the labs, about the high-quality content. Let's get to the meat of it. It's 25 bucks a month. That's it. That's the most you can ever pay. Uh, for their basic service. Now, they do have other expanded services that you can pay for, but $25 a month gets you a heck of a lot. But if you want to buy more, uh, like anything else, like like uh, toilet paper and donuts, the more you buy, the, the less you pay. $65 buys you three months, and $215 buys you a full year, which is only less than $18 a month. So, Put put twenty five dollars in on my endorsement. If if I have earned twenty five dollars worth of trust in you, um, go give it a try. Poke around for a month. If you hate it, cancel it and walk away. Uh, if you don't hate it, and I'm pretty sure you won't, then you can buy those larger packages. Uh, and and you're gonna get to see this robust and super amazing, powerful, awesome lab system that they got where you can run up to four machines simultaneously interacting with each other and interacting with the real, real world in a safe environment uh, where you can feel free to, to wreak havoc and destroy things without uh, danger of losing anything important to you. You're going to find their, their study guides. You're going to find the community. You're going to find this whole group of people on the journey with you. And you're going to find the creators and the maintainers of the content readily accessible to you. You're not going to get that anywhere else for $25 a month. I, I hang my hat on that sentence. There may be other services that are comparably priced, but they don't offer what linuxacademy.com does. Check them out, linuxacademy.com. And if you go to linuxacademy.com slash everydaylinux, you'll see some special pricing there just for our audience. Check them out. Let them know we sent you. And there you go. And moving on now to our just random trivia. And some of these I dug up. Some of them Chris dug up. Hopefully, each one will become a bit of a discussion on its own. But uh, let's start with the definition of trivia because, yes, I'm a geek and I know that. So <laughs> trivia is a, is a compound word, a portmanteau, as the French call it, of the Roman trivia. The trivia in in Rome was, uh, you know, the, the the old phrase, "All roads lead to Rome." Well, three of main roads came together at one intersection called the trivia three ways, and pretty much everybody in Rome crossed through the trivia at some point. So it became a popular place to post things. It was essentially a bulletin board where you'd post information that may or may not be beneficial, that not everybody would care about, trivial things that might not be interesting and so the trivia became the place for small snippets of information therefore it became known as trivia Uh how's that oh that was good that was a good one interesting uh so we're going to post some nuggets today that may or may not be of interest to everybody um and i'm going to start with one of my favorite things the gimp did you know that the entire GNOME project owes its life to the GIMP? 
It's not the other way around. Gimp, uh, Peter Mattis and Spencer Kimball, I'm pretty sure of their names, um, they decided for a uh, senior project to to write Photoshop. And they realized that the tools of the day were too crude to do that. The open source, mm-hmm. the available tools to them were too crude, too crude to do that. So they created the GTK, the GIMP toolkit, to help them write their senior thesis, which was the GIMP. Other people took the GIMP toolkit, this amazing set of tools they put together for imaging, for uh, working with images and, and rendering images, and created the GNOME desktop project out of the GIMP toolkit. So there you go. Your beloved GNOME people owes his life to my beloved GIMP. There you go. I knew that one. Um, that was a good one, actually. Um, there's a lot of people that never realized that. So technically, then anything GNOME derivative so cinnamon would be anything running the gtk framework so there's essentially only two frameworks right now there's gtk and qt yep everything is based on one of those two i mean that's a that's a gross generalization but easily 90 percent of the desktop environments out there are based on either the gtk the gimp toolkit or the the qt cute toolkit Uh, and that's where the kde folks come in line and that's where i like to live is in the cute framework (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. And a- another thing that my beloved GIMP gave to you was Tux. The yep. Tux Penguin was created in one of the the early versions of GIMP. And Linus Torvalds himself suggested that Linux needed a, a mascot. And, and there was a bit of a, I don't know if a competition is a word, but there was sort of a call for ideas. And the Penguin won. And the Penguin that has been in use and now, you know, variations all over the place, the very first one who's... Um, that you've seen sitting with his feet in front of him, uh, that original Tux was created in my beloved GIMP. Did you know that Tux didn't technically, there is no penguin that has feet the color of Tux or orange feet? That's right. The, uh, the closest would be the, uh, um, what's the Linux distribution named after a penguin? Um, Gentoo. Oh. The Gentoo yeah, penguin Gentoo. has yeah. orangish feet, but not exactly the same colors as Tux. Yep. And there is no natural penguin that has orange feet. So interesting. <laughs> so I thought we'd start off the show with some Linux trivia. Um, Linux origin is, is sort of, again, a portmanteau, a, a, uh, a, it's a folder, actually. It's a folder name on an FTP server that is actually still out there. Uh, it stands for Linus's Minix. So Minix was, uh, a, um, derivation of Unix. It was, uh, Unix was proprietary. Minix was free. Maybe not now that I think about it. Maybe Minix was even, uh, not free. Uh, Linus, again, wanting to scratch his own itch, decided to write his own version of Minix and he asked assisted men for some server space. And so he just called it Linux for Linus's Minix. And so a server admin naming a folder gave us the name of the Linux kernel. And that, that's, I didn't know that one. That's a good one. That's some good trivia there. It wasn't, uh, Linus uh, wanted to call it Freaks, which was a phone, uh, a, um, Ontosh combination of freaker. Freak and, and the X in Unix. Mm-hmm. But this, the system guy didn't want a folder called Freaks. So he called it Linux. <laughs> Could you imagine that if you're the system admin and some guy wants you to make a folder named Freaks? F-R-E-A-X. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. 
if I was a system admin, that yeah. you know, even now, if someone had asked me to make a folder for him and as a server share freaks, I don't think I would do it. So it was like free X, right? So that's yeah. what he was going for. Just like uh, you know, Unix has been called X, Unices, Unix derivatives has been called X for a while. So it was free X, but he did it the F R E A to you know harken back to the phone freakers because hacking wasn't even a really a word. Uh, in 1991, 92, when this when this right. came about. So, anyway, some interesting Linux trivia for our show that's not about Linux. Did you know that it's called WD40 because it's a water displacement formula, and the first 39 versions didn't work? That's an engineer at work, right there. Yep, that is, and it's based with fish oil. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's fish oil is the, one of the main ingredients in WD40 for, and it's water displacement ability. So. Yes. Yeah. Because the idea it was to to not just protect against water, but to actually uh, remove water from yep. where. So if you've already got something that's rusted, rust is a a an oxidization that happens when metal uh, and water, when the hydrogen and the oxygen meet uh, with the with the ferrous components in iron, they produce rust and they freeze up. But if you remove the water, you can free up a rusted bolt, hence water displacement mm-hmm. and and just like a, like any good engineer, it was WD38, WD39, WD40. Hey, what do you know? That works. And what are you <laughs> going to call this thing? WD40, why not? Sure, it works for me. <laughs> I'm sure they, the group of them were like, uh, I don't know any good words. We'll just right. stay with the WD40. Maybe he wanted to call it freaks, and the marketing department <laughs> didn't like that. Um, and I bet every American household has at least one can of W forty, WD forty. In that we have two, uh, three actually. There's one upstairs, one downstairs, one in the garage. Yep, um, all the best places to have them. Because as has been said, you one only needs two tools in life: WD forty to make things go, and duct tape to make them stop. There you. Go. <laughs> I like it. Oh, I wish I, I wish I could remember some of the duct tape trivia. Um, oh yeah. I so can't think of any, but yeah, duct tape is another one that has a, a weird history like WD-40 does, and I wish I could remember some of it. Yeah, the name is Duck, D-U-C-K, quack, quack, yep. that later came to be used on air ducts, D-U-C-T. Yep. So the actual proper name is Duck Quack Quack Tape, but <laughs> people call it duct, air duct tape. Right, but now air duct tape doesn't even use... Duct tape. It's silver right. and heat resistant. The insulated and, stuff. Yep. All right. Next little bit of trivia. Post-its were a failed attempt by Dr. Spencer Silver to make a new form of super glue. While working to create a super strong glue, he actually created a very weak glue that didn't lose its tackiness after being reused. And so he he was sure that we could do something with this. It was a great idea. Uh, he had this vat of it, um, and he couldn't come up with any use for it. And a friend of his, um, who I didn't write his name down, I forgot, who worked at at uh, at 3M with him, um, put it on a bookmark for his church hymnal, so that it wouldn't he couldn't wouldn't keep losing his place. And then the idea was born. So we, we put it on the bookmark. I can stick it on any page, and it never seems to lose its stickiness. It just lasts forever. So they went to a lab nearby and said, hey, give me some scrap paper. And all they had was yellow paper. Thus, the yellow post-it note was born. And now you wouldn't find an office without at least a couple of handfuls of these. Yes. <laughs> 
and once the patent ran out, people were uh, able to use it on everything. And so now they're not they're not 3M anymore. 3M, by the way, stands for Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing. They were a mining company. Talk about a company that's pivoted. There, over yeah, the years. That's a huge pivot. But yeah, 3M in their post-it notes that now everyone has the ability to make. <laughs> And, and like you said, you can't go anywhere without them. And they're, it's, it's really amazing that they, the, 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 the residue, it doesn't leave residue on anything. You can stick it on a, a computer monitor and I'm obsessive about keeping my computer monitors clean. I have some coworkers who just love to touch monitors. I keep a, a squirt bottle and a microfiber cloth in my desk because I know anytime one of my coworkers leaves, I'm going to scrub down my monitor because they yep. just, they, they don't know how to hover. And so me, I'll grab a pen. Or something with, without human grease all over it. Yep. If I want to illustrate something on a monitor, but no, some people just have to just lick it and slobber on it and go, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and and they come to my cube to do it. And as soon as they leave, I wipe it off. But I don't mind putting a post-it there because it leaves no residue. It's great for OCD people like me. It is, um, except for the the what the post-it notes that have the super stacky or super sticky right. flag on them. Don't put those on monitors. They'll rip the pixels out of your screens. <laughs> <laughs> Found that out the hard way at at the school district. The, some of the super sticky post-it notes made its way into some kids' hands, and they were sticking all the post-it or all the monitors. And we ended up with quite a few broken monitors because it ripped the pick the the, the screens off off the mount, which is actually closer to the glue that Doctor Silver was trying to create in the first place. Yep. It took him 30 years to get around to it. <laughs> well, he just now probably ran out of all that extra money from the first one. Um, and they had a hard time figuring out a way to market Post-it Notes for a long time. In fact, it failed under a couple different variations, and eventually they got it right uh, like 15 years later. Um, but in the on the, the subject of marketing, did you know that the practice of electrocuting humans in the U.S. was a marketing stunt? Really? Yes. So that's a good uh, one. Early on in the days of the current wars, uh, the uh, Thomas Edison was was pushing DC current, and uh, Westinghouse, I forget his first name, uh, was pushing uh, alternating current. And so when they when they each wanted to to to, to electrify cities and light up the world, uh, Edison was firmly in the DC camp and Westinghouse was firmly in the AC camp. AC won out eventually because it's easier to, to, to transform up and cheaper to, to send many thousands of volts, uh, over long right. distances. You lose a lot of energy, but it's easier to recoup that energy, uh, when you're using AC than it is over DC. You don't have to, uh, for physics reasons, science, uh, but <laughs> it during the, stuff. During this early period, uh, there was a war, a war going on, and Edison wanted to prove that alternating current was the more deadly current. DC current um, tends to be more harmonious with the human body. You can still die from DC current, but it takes a lot more current to kill you than it does with AC. Right. So Edison would would hire people to bring him dogs, neighborhood dogs and cats. And he would pay them for the cats. And it ended up people were like losing their pets because unscrupulous people were bringing them to Edison. And he would hold big uh, like town hall meetings where he would fry these animals with alternating current. And he wanted to associate AC with death. Right. And he went so far as to talk to the state penitentiary and say, let me create you a chair that will execute your prisoners. Because at that time, still hanging was the proper way to do it. And the, and the, uh, 
the state was looking for a more humane way. And, and some of the research had shown that you don't really feel much when you're being electrocuted, uh, as opposed to being, as opposed to hanging where you hang there until you, you expire because you can't right. draw breath any longer. So or Edison created the first electric chair using Westinghouse's AC current. And it was called electro-execution. That word became electrocution. And now anytime somebody dies or comes near death from electricity, we call it electrocution because of a marketing stunt where Edison wow. was trying to, to, uh, to, uh, to tank Westinghouse. That's a good bit of history there. <clears throat> so now I can blame Edison for all my zaps. <laughs> right. And if you were using uh, DC current, you would be much less likely to get shocked. You could work on live wires much more safely, but it, it, you would have to have a battery or a generator in your house. It would right. be in, impractical for the generator to be tens to hundreds of miles away, as you can do with alternating current. Hmm. Interesting. So in the end, Westinghouse won, uh, and Edison ended up proving his point because the electrocutions were efficient and effective, and people thought, well, this AC current seems to work pretty well for killing people. Let's see how well <laughs> it works for other things, too. That's that's interesting. Oh, electricity. Uh, it just, there's, any, there's loads of evidence to prove that Edison was kind of a tool. Um, yeah, and you know, rounding up neighborhood animals. Now, admittedly, he wasn't the one doing it. He just didn't ask where the cats and dogs came from. He just right. said, I'll, "I'll give you a dollar for a cat, so that I can execute it town hall style." That's kind of a that's kind of a dick thing to do, right there. I would um, say it's more than kind of. That's, that's yeah. really dickish. And so. one of his one of his crowning achievements was he actually fried an elephant uh, that was aged, uh, and he got it from the from the circus or the zoo, I forget which, uh, and showed that uh, Westinghouse's death current was so powerful it could even kill an elephant. There you go. And wow. he would contrast that by having people like put DC wires in their tongues and, and be just fine. I mean, we've all tested a nine volt that way, right? It stings a bit, but it's not going to hurt you. Right. Wow. That's, uh, shocking. Got <laughs> <laughs> a bum bum. Yeah. I had so, to. It was there. I had to. So that's my slate of just weird trivia. Uh, I asked Chris to to troll the his deep knowledge of games. What do you mean for us, Chris? Yeah, that didn't. Yeah, my deep knowledge of games and trivia kind of fell out the window. But uh, <laughs> I I do have a couple that I'll bring up that I, I always think are interesting because a lot of people don't realize the video game Final Fantasy. You know that all the RPG players play, and it was a uh, this monster hit forever and ever. It originally was because the designer of the game. I think it was a designer, but anyway, it was his Hail Mary. It was his final fantasy for oh, the, oh, nice. So that was why he named it the way he did, not realizing or not thinking that this would be anything more than a Hail Mary play because his company was going out of business and it ended up becoming a monster seller for them. So that's why Final Fantasy is called Final Fantasy, in case you didn't know. I, I thought I that played- was a pretty good one. I had a brief dalliance with like Final Fantasy 74 where there were so many of them early on. I think it was eight or nine or seven or eight, somewhere around there, uh, back in, in high school. That's how long that game's been around. Yeah. It's been around forever. Um, then the number scheme is actually broken if you just go off of US releases because there was Final Fantasy and then there was all the way up to 
we uh, the releasing that came over to the United States was only one, two, and then six made it to the United States. So there was other ones that were released before between Final Fantasy one and two, and then what everyone thought was three in the Super Nintendo world, which is technically six in the actual number scheme, because seven was on the PlayStation, which is that monster hit on the PlayStation. So the one you probably played in high school was the Final Fantasy three, which probably. was Super Nintendo. And now this was that, PC based. This was on the old oh. TRS eighties. Oh, okay. So that could well you might have got a Final Fantasy the actual numbers right for two and for after two. Because they did try to bring some of them over and ported, but they they were always bad um, translations or one reason or another. Uh, but just recently, in the last oh three four years, they started bringing them. Well, more than three four years now, but they started retranslating and re- redrawing all the old um, graphics and everything, and bringing them out for like your Android phones and the DS. Yeah the 3DS. So you, we're seeing more of those old school games come back to uh to play with us. Cuz my phone has more power than a Super NES did in its day. Uh-huh. Right, which is entertaining to think about it considering mm-hmm. how the Nintendo, the Super Nintendo was started its pricing point at $255 if I remember right when I bought mine. And was, and I know people who will have a Bluetooth full-size multi-button controller uh, connected to their their phone, and then the phone connected to their TV through an HDMI uh-huh. or or Chromecast or something like that. And they're playing. It's it's now their new N sixty four. That when they're done, they slip and put it in their pocket and walk away. Yeah, I think it's. I think that's awesome. I can't wait to to see that come out. Because like with the Nexus, when is it? The Nexus Go is that the little video game machine that Google's trying to market now? Um, a lot of those games are being that are in the Google Store. Um, I'm actually kind of chewing on the idea of picking one up for my living room. That's cool. And the game stick was sort of short-lived, but that's essentially yeah. what that was. A, yep. a Android-based stick you plug into your machine. Yeah, so the yeah the Nexus Go, I think, is what it's called now. Um, but speaking of older games, how many times have you seen the Konami code, for those that don't know what that is? My first experience with the Konami code was playing Contra. That's it. Uh, and, you know, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA select start gives you in, uh, invincibility and you could go through and just let people shoot at you and, or you get, it's, maybe it's not invincibility, but it's like 99 guys, 99 lives. That's what it was. Um, and so I don't know if that's where it started, but that was my first experience with it. And that's why it's called the Konami code. Um, Mm -hmm. actually you can do the Konami code in a lot of different places. The funniest one is if you use Google now and do it and say it to Google now, it'll say you've unlocked, um, unlimited searches. So you now, (laughs) and they're, they're, they're listed all over. And if you actually watch some of the movies, you'll see the Konami code show up in some of the cartoon video game movies like, uh, Wreck-It Ralph. It shows up there. It show and it, yeah. But there's a lot of different video game references for the Konami code. So pay attention next time. Maybe you'll you'll catch a Konami code and not even realize it's one. Um, there was a oh, what was the other movie it was in? There was a movie where it was in the actual. They had just the arrows as a hieroglyphics on a wall for one of the cart in a in one of the movies. And the the Konami code showed up in one of the hieroglyphics. If you uh pause the movie and, and looked down through the list of the movie, you could find the Konami code written out. 
So <laughs> that's awesome. Um, it, it shows up in lots of different places. It's fun. One of those things that if it's not in the movie and it's a computer gaming reference movie, you probably just missed it because it's in just about all of them. I, it's it's like the Wilhelm scream. Are you familiar with that sound Easter egg? Um, which one? The the Wilhelm scream. It's a it's a sound effect you've heard a thousand times. It started um, from an old of. Uh, uh, cowboy movie a guy got shot and fell off a horse and made a distinctive ah! scream as he went and some oh, the, ah! yeah and some guy named wilhelm later stuck it into another movie and now it's everywhere once you once you've tuned your ears to that you will hear it in every movie i'm not kidding it was in avengers age of ultron um it's huh. uh it's it's a little audio easter egg that people put in somebody gets uh, uh shot off a horse or falls off a building it's on um in toy story uh in that scene where maybe it's toy story 2 where but uh woody accidentally knocks buzz out a window as he's falling you hear the Wilhelm scream. Ah! It's in um, it's in Star Wars. I think when Luke gets his hand cut off and and falls. Spoiler alert! Uh, and falls uh, thirty <laughs> thirty stories down, he does the Wilhelm scream. So it's it's like you know, the Konami code there. It's it's one of those things that just uh, gets stuck in all over the place just to see if you can see uh, where it is. But I, I have I have started to listen to it, and and it's in like every movie um, at some point. So it it's check it out do google it and some people have made some super cuts of like hundreds of wilhelm screams uh where you can see where where the people have stuck it in yeah i just pulled up uh, a youtube one and it says it's two and a half or almost three minutes of of two wilhelm second shots scream. yeah right. so that, that'll, that'll be interesting i'll i'll have to attune my ears to it and see how many times i can count it next time i watch a movie and i think um the Konami code. I think there's also something on YouTube that, like, while it's playing, you you can do something. I can't remember what it is, but I think I remember hearing something about that. But yeah, Google is full of geeks. Geeks like Contra. So there you go. <laughs> That's because Contra was the best game ever. It was so good. It really was. The it, music. It was whole, yes, the music was even better. Um, bar by far one of the best video games I've ever played was Contra. Yeah, Just Seth and I it's... used to play that in college. If he were here yep. right now, he'd be waxing rhapsodic about it. Uh, he, uh, one of our roommates had a Nintendo and had Contra and. Yeah, the two of us would get the 99 lives and we'd just run through and, and it was just the best thing ever. My, my friends and I would do challenges to see how far we could go into Contra without dying. The, you know, that play until you die. Right. Yeah, there, there, there was a time where there was, you know, me and my buddies would be, five or six levels in before we would die because it was, we just had the game memorized because it never changed. If you knew where everything was, you could dodge the bullets and yeah, it's yeah, I was, I was horrible. I was a bad video game geek. <laughs> so this next one you have on the list, I'm going to tell you before you say it is absolutely an urban myth and is not true, but I'm going to let you mm-hmm. say it anyway. Oh, I know. I know it's not true because you'd have to have so much exactly. salt added to the water for pasta to make the, They'll make the boiling point change to make the water hotter that you wouldn't be able to eat the pasta. Um, so it's one of those things what, that is technically true. So they say that if you add salt to water uh, before you boil the pasta, it makes the water, the salt raises the boiling point of the water so your f- pasta cooks faster. That is yeah. technically true. 
Adding salt to water increases the, well, adding any salt to water does increase the boiling point, but by fractions of a degree. So that tablespoon mm-hmm. of salt that you put in there raises the boiling point of water at uh, sea level something like five calories. Um, mm-hmm. Not even, you know, it's it's just nothing. Uh, but it's people a great, still believe. But it's it. a great trivia. It's a great trivia yeah. point. Um, from what I've from what I've heard about it, it was originally done f- to uh, banish bad spirits from the water. Is what the the history that I was told. The real reason you do it it. is it tastes good. You get salt in the pasta, and you can never put enough salt on the pasta afterward to make it taste the same as putting salt in the pasta with the water. There you go. I always wondered what it'd be like to boil salt, you know, using like salt water and make pasta. The actual, you know, make it salt water that you could, yeah. Because I wonder if that might have had a little bit of a difference because I know seawater does have a higher boiling point than regular tap water. Well, that's because there's so much crap in it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, literally, you'd filter. Yeah, filter. Duh. <laughs> my my wife uh, bought some Himalayan pink sea salt, um, or uh, pink salt. I don't know if it's sea salt or not, but it's Himalayan, and, and you know, and, and it does have a, a unique taste. And so I, mm-hmm. I'm not, I, I don't have a problem with that. But one of the things I ask her is, I wonder what crap is in there that makes it pink, right? Because we all know <laughs> what salt looks like. This is pink. Yep. Therefore, it's got something else in it. It's got, you know, I don't know, cadmium or, or cobalt or, you know, cobalt. Some sort blue. of I don't know. It's got something. Yep. It's got some garbage in it that makes it pink and also gives it a unique flavor. Um, sea salt is the same way. That One of the reasons sea salt is so popular is because it's got all sorts of other garbage in it. Um, mm-hmm. But that garbage can taste good. So, <laughs> Interestingly, it's one of the... Um, Another trivia thing, uh, the biblical admonition that, that Jesus says, what if salt loses its flavor, what can you do? Real salt can't lose its flavor, but you go back in that time in history, all of their salt uh, was sea salt or evaporated salt, and it had a lot of impurities in it. And if you didn't store it in a dry place, uh, it got wet. Humidity would actually, uh, the water would bond with the salt, actually break down the salt, and you'd let, be left with just the crap and not the salt. And so in their minds, it was salt losing its flavor, but it was really the salt dissolving away and being left with everything but not salt. So interesting. That's uh, another good piece of, of information there. Um, I'm sure this is one that most of our audience will know that Tetris was done by a, a Russian. That's kind of an interesting one that right. when my wife, the Tetris Nazi, she, uh, and he got no money for it. Yeah. He got nothing. He just built it. I don't even remember why he built it. Was it, was he a, a task to do it or? I think it was just a fun project, but when you lived under the communist regime that he lived under at the time, everything belonged to the government. It was the people's uh, government, right? So everything belonged to the people. So nobody made profit on anything. You got your allotment. Uh, And so, yeah, Mm -hmm. he it it went on to be one of the greatest games, one of the most played games ever, and he got nothing for it. And he's pretty bitter about that in interviews. Oh, yeah, I would be too. But I, I... the reason I bring up Tetris is we were talking about things we did in college with a bunch of my friends the other day, and they were talking about how we were, they were playing with oscilloscopes. And I go, yeah, I loved playing with the, with the oscilloscopes in college because I had Tetris on mine. And they all looked at me funny <laughs> until I explained what it was, and then they're like, man, I wanted those oscilloscopes. I would have been, I would have never left the test lab if I had oscilloscopes that played Tetris. So you could hack the scope to put Tetris on it? Well, what it was is it was an Easter egg built into the O-scope. Nice. If you set the dials in a certain 
at certain intervals, um, it would trigger the screen to change into a Tetris board. And then one of the, I think the pitch was a volume to, to rotate it one way. And then I don't remember what the other volume, there's two of the knobs would rotate it or drop it faster. So it was kind of one of those things where it was like, okay, I'm, it, it was a great, it was a great distraction in the middle of working on a circuit because you're, you know, stumped. You just flip it over to Tetris and play for a couple minutes to let your brain focus on something else, which then of course you could figure out what the problem was because your brain was not gearing at the same problem. That's something that so many employers today don't realize is important. Uh, they oh, yeah. Have, they have everything locked down so that oh, you can only do your work. But sometimes the best thing you can do for somebody is let them do something other than their work for a while. There's been studies yep. done about that where uh, school districts and, and um, public schools, uh, and higher ed, actually, colleges, the where where they don't block like Facebook and Twitter, uh, students will naturally every few minutes take sort of a, a a Facebook break and then go back to what they're doing as opposed to sitting on Facebook all day, which is what people think they're going to do. Um, yep. And and employers too. I know at my place of business, uh, Facebook isn't blocked, and I don't know if that's an oversight or if it's that same sort of thing that they understand that people need that that little break. I personally, I never do anything at work personal because I know that they have um a an S, a, a SSL certificate on my machine and they can literally see everything I do um right and and I also know that because they're a big corporate organization nobody's ever told me this but I'm quite certain that they're logging everything so that later if I get in trouble for something they've got my passwords to everything I've ever logged into so I just don't do it at work but right that's a whole different story uh, it's the the point is that diversion is a critical part of the problem solving process it is. Um, it's one of those things that can make or break um, somebody. I don't know how many times in college or even uh, now in my current, in my previous job, in my current job, where I'll be busting my brain on a, a some sort of error message or whatever. I'll walk away from it for 10, 15 minutes and come back, and it, the answer just magically shows up. And it's like, oh, well, why didn't I try that before? Or yeah, I'll I'll stumble into a log file that I forgot about and just randomly opened up that log file for whatever reason, some intuition triggers. Um, yeah, you just need that break time. Yeah. There are many people who would say that's not random at all. That was your subconscious brain telling you, go down this trail, look for something. Right. But if you're headstrong and pointing that down the one path without taking that, that mental break, you would never, Right. Listen to the, let the subconscious come through. I mean, I have set bolt upright in bed at three o'clock in the morning, many a night, with the solution to a problem I've been wrestling with. It just, oh yeah, you know, you, you hand it off to the subsystems and they're processing it while you're mm-hmm. sleeping. And it's like, oh, that's it, I've got it. Yeah, the, the brain is a wonderful thing. Like your idea with the two X uh, moving your speeds up. Mm-hmm. That's the brain is a beautiful thing. It's it's a relatively ever, new science no, called neuroplasticity. We, we used to believe that you were born with all the brain cells you'd ever have, um, and that we now know that is not true. Your brain can actually make new brain cells, uh, and it makes new connections, uh, and mm-hmm. that 
learning something. It's called neurogenesis. It's the the phase of of being uncomfortable with a new thing. When you when you drop down like Chris in this new job that you just did, the first couple of weeks where you were just totally overwhelmed and you had no handle on it, that was the best time of growth for your brain. You were actually making yep. connect, new connections, renewing your brain. The moment you think you've got this. You've stopped. You're no longer making new connections. Neurogenesis isn't happening. So some of the research right now says the best way to keep your brain active is to learn something new every couple of weeks. And once you get to the point where you think you've got it and you just need to polish up on it, dump it and move on to the next thing. Because polish isn't about neuroplasticity. It's about refining and um, um, reinforcing the connections you've already made. But in in the interest of keeping your brain young, you need to make new connections. So learn a language. But don't master it. I mean, it's fine to master language, but in terms of neuroplasticity, that's not the goal. The goal is to start to get it where things start to come together, and then you dump it and move on to the next thing. Man, I don't know if I could do that with with languages, though. That would be a tough one. Yeah, but and, and I can see like what I'm saying. It's 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 not okay to continue on. I mean, it's not a bad thing to continue on, but that's not the neuroplastic thing. Continue on that, but then take up yoga and get that right. just until you start to figure it out. And then move on to something else. Keep adding to something else. Uh, it's one of the reasons that for years every student in the U.S. learned Latin, even though Latin was a dead language. And it's been proven now that the learning of Latin, not so much that it was Latin, but something that was foreign and hard, actually made everything else you were learning better because your brain was in the process of making new connections. So my new process where I'm going to be picking up a programming language is going to make my brain yes. rebuild all sorts of stuff. Yes. Which and, is and new. there's some other. I, I just recently read a book about this. One of my Audible books. Um, I forget. I forget the thing, but it's ba- building on the neuroplasticity. The brain can also lose functions if you don't use. It's literally a use it or lose it situation. So somebody, for example, who had a stroke and lost a part of the brain. There's this uh, research uh, company. Uh, I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the details. But the first thing they do when you go to their physical therapy is they bind up the hand that works. So you had a stroke, your left hand is dead. They force you to use only your left hand, which is exactly the opposite of what conventional therapy is. But what what they're saying is if you force yourself to do that, if you can't eat because you can only use your left hand, your brain will find a new way around it. And they're, they're... People with entirely dead chunks of brain due to trauma or due to strokes are having other parts of the brain kick in and begin to control the arm and the leg that wasn't working. But the trick is to never use the good hand. So Hmm. one of the things that they said was is like you work like 16 hours a day stacking cups. That's all you do with your bad hand and it and you can't do it at all and then later you realize that you can you you learn the ability to stack these cups but say you go home at the end of your 16 hours a nurse will call you and if you answer the phone quickly they know you're using the right hand and and they'll yell at you you know you shouldn't have gotten (laughs) to the phone that quickly if you didn't so they they will like tape your hand your good hand They'll put an oven mitt on it and tape it to your side so that you cannot use it and force you to use the bad hand and the brain is remapping itself um yeah. They've, also, they've learned that people that uh, who have lost motion over the years due to you know just being old, right? You you notice old people start taking smaller steps, uh, and or like people who wear shoes all the time start to lose the part of the brain that maps to what their feet are supposed to feel like, and that's one of the theories as to what neuropathy is right now that that we attribute it to things like diabetes and old. It's actually the fact that you're wearing shoes all the time. 
So take your shoes off and go walk around in the driveway where it hurts like hell, but it's actually <laughs> remapping your brain. It's reminding your brain, oh, this is where this is what my feet are actually supposed to feel like. Yeah, and it's 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 fascinating stories of th- of therapies like that. Um, That's interesting. Well, I guess I wouldn't have to worry about the feet problem since I'm barefoot more often than I'm not. Right, but that's everybody loses maps over time, and they and mm-hmm. and other things take over, like the 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 old saw that when you lose your eyesight, your hearing gets better. It's literally true because now the part of your brain that was doing sight is now doing hearing, and you've added double the cells to it, and sure. so it's twice as good because you've remapped your brain. That's part of that neuroplasticity thing. Um, if Interesting. I, if you will vamp for a minute, I'll try to find the title of that book and and share it the with the title of that book. Sure, sure. So, I mean that 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 brings a whole different. I mean, you could become to spin back to one of our warm up topics. So there there is some possible factoid to Daredevil, even probably not to the, his extreme, but that would be. And I, I've you know now that you say something like that, I've actually seen that with a couple of my friends. I have a couple of them that you know don't have very good use of their legs. He's determined to not be reliant upon the hand cr- crutches. And he's, he's gotten to the point, you know, last time I talked to him, he's gotten to the point where he could walk around his house without his hand crutches. Right. Um, and it's just, I, you know, the doctors were amazed and this and that. And it's just one of those things where he made a mental thing where I'm going to find a way to move around the house without these crutches because I need my hands. So, so the book is called The Brain That Changes Itself by Norman Dodge. It's 11 and a half hours available on Audible. Um, and it's, it's, it's science stuff and it's thick and it gets kind of dry, but it's, it's a list of stories about people doing things they were told they should never be able to do again. And if you're mm-hmm. into, if you're scientifically minded like I am, it's a, it's a great book. It's fascinating. I was, I was sad when it was over because I wanted to hear more about it. I'll have to put it in my reading queue. That's a book that I would want to read, not listen to, if it was me. So that'll be in my read queue. But that should be – that's an interesting idea, and that's uh, an interesting thought process because then if, if you can harness that ability without, say, losing a body part or a functionality of a body part, if there's a way for you to actually, you know, like you were saying earlier, where you just pick up something just because you can pick it up right. and then dump it after you start getting the hang of it, because well, most people, most I've people, I've seen would, it in my own life. Since I read this book, I started experimenting. I have a really bad knee. Part of it is a car accident I had years ago, and part of it is just being so fat. It's it's worn down the knee, uh, and so I I limp and I hobble a little bit, and I've noticed that my steps got shorter, um, just because of the the bio broken biomechanics. So after reading this book, I made an effort to take larger, longer, faster steps at all times. Um, and it hurt a lot at first, but I forced my way through it. And now that is the normal way. I now walk far more normally than I have in, in a decade because I forced myself to do it. I forced my body and my brain to remember how things work. That's what chiropractors do. When you go to a chiropractor and he cracks your back, he's reminding the brain, this is what the spine is supposed to feel like. Mm. Um, and over time, your your brain forgets that. It literally just it says, oh, we're not using this anymore. Let's remap it. Let's do something else. Uh, and so there's there's thousands of years in science in this uh, in fields that where people weren't paying attention, right? Uh, chiropractic, uh, um, acupuncture, it's all the same sort of thing. If you prick a numb part of the the body, you can start to remind the brain, oh yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to be able to feel stuff down there. 
So right. It, it, I've done some some very small scale experiments like that in my own life, and it's worked. I have been able to remap my brain in some ways. Interesting. Yeah. It, well, and then you know that brings up the other point of um, I don't know. Have you ever tried hypnotism to help fix things? Um, I have it. I have dabbled with hypnotism, but not as a corrective measure. Just as a you know, as a to see if I can do it. If I can hypnotize other people, if I can be hypnotized. I don't. I've never been successfully hypnotized, but I've never had a professional try it either. See, I've I've had. Well, I don't. I would say he's a professional. He's a, one of those stage hypnotists. We had one come to town, um, and he tried, and I was temporarily hypnotized until he touched me. Then I snapped out, but I ended up buying one of his hypnotism audio CDs to see if it would help. And it was one on to be- improve the um, memory, not just remembering things, but to be able to pull things up quicker and faster. Uh, I, I want to say it's helped because I'm not stumbling any as much as I used to. Uh, for words and phrasing and people, but the one thing I really would love to figure out a way for my brain to be remapped is to remember names that for faces. Right. Cause I remember faces like no one's business, but I can't remember names. Names have always been a hard thing. And there are tricks for that. And, and there, you know, you see the guys on TV who can memorize an entire audience's names after, after a few seconds. And it's just a matter yep. of learning those tricks. It's just one of those things that I never did. Growing up, right? I, I'm was, terrible with names. I'm I literally forget my family's names. I I don't think I I honestly think there's some sort of failure in my brain. Um, well, there isn't. There is a, a a disease, or I want I don't want to call it a disease, but it's a issue where you are face blind, right? And I was watching a 2020 show where he was on one of the guys. The he's a famous dude who has this problem, and he memorizes people's names with an article of clothing they're right, wearing right. or uh you know the way their mustache is cut or something that isn't a face and i just when i read i watched that i'm like wow to go through life and not know anyone's name because you looked at their face but to know their name based on their shoes or something minute like that that just blew my mind when i watched it wife gets a new hairdo he doesn't know who she is anymore right that would be crazy. <laughs> All right. Um, that was that was a fun show, I think. Uh, trivia and ramblings and, and stuff we've read. Uh, and I'm sure some part of the audience is saying, come on back, Seth. Keep these guys in line. But, you know, they said the same <laughs> thing when you were gone. They said that yep. Seth and I went out on. So, really, the I think we've seen the problem is me. Um, it takes two people to keep me on track. No, I what I would say is when we're not all when we're not at full strength, when the three of us aren't together, the chemistry's wrong. We don't make ox or we don't make water or <laughs> some other chemical thing. Because it, I mean, I've I've when I've listened to our shows, when the when someone's gone, it we just don't quite have the same bang that we do when everyone's here. Takes three to make a something that starts with. Uh, so if, <laughs> this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can contact with uh, contact us. Uh, elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page. Send an email to edl at elementop.com. If you want to uh, send um, Stump the Sultan questions to just Chris or just Seth, 
Uh, I'm pretty sure they both have Element OP addresses. So I know can, I do. You can send it to Chris at elementop.com or Seth at elementop.com. That will go to them without going to me. So when we've built up a, a, a an hour's worth of those, we'll do the Stump the Sultan show. But also, uh, what are some what's some fascinating trivia? We'll sprinkle those in uh, throughout the next several shows that we that we uh, left out. Something something that most people don't know, but you do. Show it off and and also educate us all. As I say so many times, you are the reason we do this show. Thank you for listening, Chris. Uh, thanks for being a great host. We look forward to having Seth back, but it's certainly been nice uh, learning a little more about a you uh, as, in his absence. So uh, yeah. thanks for thanks for being with us. And uh, for now, I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Life.